0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: AI is making waves
0: in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. Hello and welcome to a special Oscar nominations morning edition of Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm all alone in the studio, but calling in from various points west, are Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan.
1: Hey Katie, good morning.
0: Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Good morning. All right. So it's early for me. It's even earlier for you guys. But it's Oscar nominations morning. I feel like it's a tradition to get up and be exhausted. We have the nominations in hand. I think there were enough surprises to make it really interesting, in addition to a lot of things that we predicted. I'll do the best picture list, and then we'll go around and talk about what surprised us the most. So the, the best picture lineup, Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. And all of those got various other nominations. Another other categories. So uh, starting with Joanna, Furthest West, uh, what surprised you most this morning?
2: I mean, I know you guys are going to laugh at me because Lucas Hedges was on your predictions list, but because he didn't get a Globe nomination, I was really worried about him. I loved him so much. So I was really excited in a good way to see Lucas Hedges. And then we'll talk about it more, but the best song category,
0: ooh, that's a <laughs> rough one. It's a rough one. Well, it's like four very predictable nominations and then one very odd one instead of our beloved Sing Street. It was kind of a bummer.
2: I just think it should be a rule that you shouldn't get two songs for the same movie. I mean, you guys said that that was going to happen, but I just I wish it were a rule. So. <laughs> Richard, how about you?
3: Um, there were surprises in the categories that I, you know, wrote for our predictions piece. Like, I'm surprised that Hugh Grant didn't get in, you know. And I think that the big, the kind of Twitter conversation right now is, you know, about Annette Bening and Amy Adams. That doesn't surprise me exactly. I think because what we talked about last week is that Meryl Streep had that Golden Globe speech, which I really think pushed her over the edge. And Annette and Amy were really fighting for that one slot.
0: Yeah, the best actor slot we talked about as being competitive every single time. And I mean, I think. No one really could have accurately predicted how it was going to turn out, but I really didn't expect to see Amy Adams miss out there.
3: Well, uh, the momentum clearly is for Arrival. It got tons of nominations elsewhere. So, yeah, it is surprising that they kind of didn't get the slot in one of the biggest categories, but hopefully they can at least revel in the other below the line, so to speak, categories that they're in. Yeah. All right, Mike, how about you?
1: Well, it's funny. I mean, not to sound narcissistic, but it's just so painful when you're watching the nominations get announced and... You see things that your gut told you were going to happen, but then you talked yourself out of. And Merrill was absolutely one of those things. Fire at Sea, the nomination for that in documentary was one of those for me. Michael Shannon was one of those for me in Best Supporting Actor. And Vigo Mortensen in Best Actor. Both of those, I think, are really nice nominations. I know some of you guys might disagree about anything for Nocturnal Animals. Um, <laughs> But in all cases, I was like, oh, come on, you know, you're being silly, like that's not going to happen. So it's fun when those things happen, but it's also painful when you didn't have the courage to go with your gut in the first place.
2: I feel like you might have not officially predicted Vigo, but Mike, you've been stopping for Vigo. Like, I, I, I'm going to give this one to you. You've you, been yeah, behind yeah. Vigo for a long time. Yeah, I yep. know.
1: That was on it's me. Just putting the name on the line, you know, it really is. Couldn't be more insignificant. But in my own pride, I was like, damn it. I should have just gone. It.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mike, the agreement was that now Vigo is going to take you as his guest. Right. That was the, that was the deal you guys struck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he already took his mom. So I'm, I'm next.
0: Yeah. I think you've lined yourself up perfectly there. Um, <laughs> I think to look at the bigger picture a little bit, and this is a story that everyone's catching on to, is that unlike last year, when Oscar So White really took off because all of the academies were white, there is a person of color in every single category which is a really remarkable turnaround and I think a huge relief for the Academy. Like, if it hadn't gone this way, somehow it would have looked even worse. And Best Actress was looking like the most likely to be in all-white category. And Ruth Negga, of Loving, a movie that I adore, made it in there. So
1: I did go with my gut on that because people were starting to say, oh, Ruth Negga is going to get crowded out here. There's so many nominees and that film has fallen out of the conversation. But I kind of had a feeling that this increasingly diverse, young, and also anxious, insecure Academy was going to make sure that that nomination happened.
0: Yeah, Rebecca Keegan wrote an article for us on Monday about how the new makeup of the Academy might affect this year's nominations, because there are a lot of new people added last year. They're young, they're more diverse, they're more international than before. I mean, these actor nominations are, there's no like crazy surprises in there. And they also nominated Mel Gibson. So I'm not sure how much the youth revolt has really happened. But, you know, between the new people and movies like Moonlight Fences, loving hidden figures, more Oscar-friendly diverse movies to choose from. I think it would have been crazy if they hadn't done this.
2: I have a question. Should we be surprised by the fact that Finding Dory, which is not a very good movie, but made a majillion dollars, isn't in the animated category, but My Life as a Zucchini is? (laughs) I'm for it. I'm just surprised by it.
3: Joanna, you sound like someone who hasn't seen My Life as a Zucchini. If you were as familiar with that <laughs> film as I am,
2: you,
3: uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that Zucchini movie, which I haven't seen, has been kind of in this little conversation for a little while now. And there's always kind of a random outlier in animated stuff. So... I'm not that surprised. I guess I'm just that. glad
2: Zootopia got in over Finding Dory, you know, like yeah. Zootopia, which everyone loved. But if you're going to put one Disney slash Pixar in there, I'm glad it was that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, if Finding Dory had made it in, it would have been three Disney Pixar movies. So... I mean, did DreamWorks Animation just not do anything this year? I guess Storks wasn't really a contender.
3: Well, there's always my Trolls, you know, the movie that I wrote and directed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got that song nomination.
3: I did. We're celebrating here in Park City.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Joanna, do you want to talk about the original song category real quick? I do. Okay,
2: so in the original song category, we've got two nominations for La La Land, which you guys predicted. The audition song for Emma Stone and City of Stars, which is the two-hander. We've got Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling with Trolls, which is Mike Hogan's favorite Jim jam. We've got How Far I'll Go. It is a good jam. <laughs> we've got How Far I Go, which is a nomination for Lynn manuel Miranda, which is exciting for us Hamilton fans. And then we've got The Empty Chair from Jim colon the James Foley story, which is performed by Sting, I believe. This means a complete shutout for the lovely Sting Street, which is truly a disaster. What do you think, Katie?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just... I can't figure out why if there was going to be some weird outlier. Like, I think I thought that Pharrell's song from Hidden Figures would get in there or maybe another Moana song, but... I guess Sting, the star power, like that, you know, a couple years ago when there was a Best Original Song nominee that got rescinded because it had campaigned illegally, I think I learned a lot about how much money and campaigning goes into this category. So maybe I shouldn't be surprised that Sting, star power. I didn't know this song existed, though. Like, I was really not prepared.
1: It just feels like one of those nominations that happens because a bunch of Academy members are friends with Sting. (laughs) And they're like, you gotta put the Sting song. What about the Sting song? And I don't mean it as like a corruption thing. It's just kind of like it's on their radar because they all socialize. And for the rest of us, it's like, wait, that's the movie? That's a song? What is this thing?
0: Well, and by not nominating, we know the way the Moana song that Lin-Manuel Miranda sings on, they've missed the opportunity to have him perform on stage at the Oscars. So way to go, Academy.
1: Maybe the producers will find a way around that
0: maybe he sings a duet with
2: this song about a young girl finding her place in the world i don't sure. know I Sure, awesome.
1: can i point out something that i haven't seen anywhere that i think is interesting and slightly disturbing yes i mean look la la land's gonna win best picture at this point but we've been going around sort of saying la la land moonlight and manchester by the Sea are the three most likely best picture winners But one of the conventional wisdom things is that not only directing, but editing. Directing and editing are the two major, major categories that sort of you can't win best picture without both of them. And in best director, you've got all three of our tops along with Arrival and Hacksaw Ridge. But over in editing, we have Hell or High Water jumping into the Manchester by the Sea slot, which makes me think, I guess, again, it's all irrelevant if La La Land's just going to Cruise to a giant victory. But Manchester, not as strong as I guess we assumed going into this whole thing. And interesting to see Hell or High Water being that strong. Also, a rival in Haxwell Ridge with both.
0: Do you buy into the editing thing as being a lockstep predictor for Best Picture? I feel like it used to be, but in recent years has been less predictive.
1: Have Best Picture winners been winning without editing lately? I
0: think maybe Birdman. Was the one yep. that broke it because it had that whole like unbroken shot thing going for it, which is crazy yeah. that people thought that meant it hadn't been edited, but that's a whole. Oh other my shit. God. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the like, what do we think about the whole Mel Gibson thing? Like, Hacksaw Ridge kind of became just as popular as I guess we thought it would be. I don't know who I thought in the Academy was going to really be the firewall against nominating Mel Gibson.
2: I mean, I think we're not surprised by Andrew Garfield, friend of the show at all, right? We're delighted. And yes. I think a Best Picture nomination was expected, but you're right. I mean, Richard, what what are your thoughts on Mel in this category?
3: Well, I think that, you know, talking about a firewall, I mean, who was standing in Mel Gibson's way in this slot? Garth Davis for Lyon? You know the defenses were weak against Mel Gibson getting in there. I had put Garth Davis in my predictions just because that seemed to be where the wind was blowing, and Lyon did pick up a bunch of other nominations. But yeah, I mean Twitter seems to be pretty, <laughs> uh, you know, annoyed by the Gibson thing. I, I saw someone compare Mel Gibson to a certain actor, so I won't name, who's gotten in trouble of ostracized from Hollywood because of some bad behavior. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how that conversation goes. Well, but... well
1: Richard, I mean Denzel could have been the firewall, although I, I don't think that they're ever ended up being that much traction behind him getting director. Yeah, Um, I don't think the traction But I will say, personally, I mean, leaving aside Mel Gibson's past, if we can do that for one second, the film feels incredibly uneven to me, which is strange to me that it's being this successful. And the second half I do think is very, very effective in an incredibly brutal way. And I guess there's an emotional payoff that you don't get in some other things. But I'm surprised that it has gotten this amount of love Even just with Mel Gibson's personal history aside, I'm surprised that people are this all in for Hacksaw Ridge.
0: I mean, it's a, uh, you know, in a category without very many hits, like we kind of thought Sully would be it and that didn't happen, I think. Hex Ridge is kind of the populist contender. I mean, Arrival, I guess, is also in there. I don't know. It's a stirring movie. It gets people in their heart somewhere that is hard to quantify.
1: And I guess maybe the spectacle of the second half is enough to kind of make you forget about. I just think the first half is just clunky. My joke is it's, you know, Full Metal Jacket meets Caddyshack. <laughs> <laughs> Two of my think, favorite movies. but
2: I do think the war movie part of it is very effective. Like, particularly how the opposing soldiers are shot... All of that. I I do think it's very effective. But you're right, the first part just lands so oddly. I mean, like, well, Braveheart is a blend of home drama and war movie, and I think that that works really well, unless I need to rewatch it and (laughs) rethink my
1: thoughts on Braveheart,
2: but... But yeah, it's odd, and uh, I don't know what to attribute it to.
1: But look, these are professional storytellers, and they love redemption narrative. I mean, we know
3: that from years of watching this stuff, so I think that's probably playing into it, too. I was at a party here at Sundance a couple nights ago and was talking with a producer who's in the Academy, and he is... A sort of very prominent gay producer. He produces a lot of gay films, including one here at Sundance that's really great. And he was talking about Gibson and, you know, I don't like the guy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But Hacksaw Ridge is really good. I mean, I think there's a lot of that going on in this conversation. And, you know, I guess that second half of the movie just stands up for enough people. And actually the producer, because I, you know, I sort of pushed back. I was like, the first half of the movie isn't very good. And he was like, no, I think it's great. So,
0: wow. Uh, I'm going to try out my joke about Hacks Origin once I finally saw it, which is that it really felt like the beginning of Walk Hard, the uh, John C. Riley music biopic parody uh, that nobody saw. The, right. it, the it, Dewey Cox story? Oh, yeah. It's, it, as I nobody said, it's, saw it's, it? It's,
1: I've seen it t- three times. <sighs> okay, so then you'll know
0: what I mean when I say the beginning is very wrong kid died. <laughs> right, yes, yes.
3: <laughs> um, can, we, can we go back for a second to the best song category? Because I was just kind of noodling around on, on Wikipedia, and I found something interesting. So Jay Ralph, the guy who's nominated with Sting for that song. Seemingly random nomination. In the honest Wikipedia page, it says over the last eight years, Ralph has written and produced the music for seven of the Oscar-winning slash nominated documentary feature films. Wow, oh. uh, oh, that's and, true. Um, in the entire history of the Academy Awards, only six songs from documentaries have ever been nominated for Best Original Song. Ralph is the only composer in the history of the Oscars to have received more than one of those nominations. So this oh. guy is uh, it's an not Academy state, favorite. It's this guy, yeah, he's an Academy favorite. Yeah,
0: he was nominated last year for Antz. I think maybe if I'd figured that out, I would've. <laughs> So Maybe I, it's,
3: I, well, just, I m- it's Meryl Streep writing songs under a pen. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> now we know. So,
0: all right. So, Jim the James Foley story. If we want to be completists, that's now a movie we all have to see. What else popped up that surprised you guys? And now it's like, oh shit! Well, I gotta watch this. I still haven't seen Florence Foster Jenkins, which I kind of figured was going to be in there. So that's now at the top of my list.
3: You all have to see Thirteen Hours: The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Now,
0: <laughs> I already okay. saw it. I am all set.
2: I watched uh, OJ Made in America last night. So the whole thing.
0: Th- the whole thing oh my god holy cow well, that, last,
1: that's not yeah. even a night. That's like, that's like day and
0: night. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good for
1: you. <laughs> I have to watch like any of the animated movies. My thing has always been I'll watch animated movies when I have a kid, but at 41 years old, I think I might have to accept <laughs> that that may or may not happen.
0: I look forward to hearing what My Life as a Zucchini is actually about.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I'm curious about A Man Called Ove, which got a foreign language yeah. film nomination and a hair and makeup nomination. Yeah. Uh, and also Tana or Tana, the, the movie from Australia that's in the foreign language category, which was not on my radar at all. So. I'm curious about that. And obviously the shorts, that's always a fun. Yeah. yeah,
1: I recommend anyone who lives in, I guess at least New York or LA, they usually run the shorts. You can buy a ticket and watch, you know, one or two or all three sets. And it's really fun to do that in the theater.
0: Well, in the last few years, they've also been on iTunes to rent. Yes. They've become very accessible and they can be really fun to watch. And I assume we'll talk about them closer to the awards since that's a fun thing to catch up on.
2: It looks like A Man Called Ove is some classic old man makeup. Yeah. Well,
0: remember last year, one of the makeup nominees was uh, the 100-year-old man who climbed out the window and never (laughs) came back or something like that? Yeah, That's
2: a good movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I shamefully haven't seen Tony Erdman, so I'm really looking forward
0: to watching that. My question is, do I have to see Passengers now? It got two nominations.
1: I think you should just see it for fun. I think it's a fun movie.
0: But they didn't send a screener, Mike. I don't know. I actually literally don't even know if it's still in theaters. Like, can I see Passengers?
3: I think you really have to look into your heart on that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is the score any good? I mean, there were a lot of good score contenders this year. And I know Arrival, Richard, I saw you in a Twitter conversation about this, that Arrival was deemed ineligible because the most prominent Score selection is previously existing. But uh, yeah, I feel like there was other good stuff that could have gotten in there.
3: I'm blinded to the other score conversation because I'm just so happy about Michael Levy. Yes, uh, for Jackie. You know, that's too. such a weird, alienating score. She's a really interesting new composer. And actually, I saw a movie last night here at Sundance that she had the score for it. It was kind of these weird discordant strings. And I was like, this sounds familiar. And then sure enough. So I'm very happy about her. And she's not going to win, I don't think. But well, look, maybe what is, she win. win. Uh, that's the, I don't know. I said that. And as soon as I said it, I was like, well, maybe... I mean, probably La, La Land, but you, know, you never know. <laughs> do we think La, La Land's just going to sweep everything? Probably. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 14 nominations, that's kind of a mandate, as they say. Yeah. You,
2: don't, you don't think Ryan's going to win, do you? Do you?
0: No, no. Ryan's not going to win. And it can't win all 14 because it's nominated for two songs. So it's, it's 13 is its cap.
1: Yeah, and we should point out that 14 ties the record set by All About Eve and Titanic, although they didn't have the benefit of music categories. Certainly not a double nomination, one category, but that's insane. La La Land is tied for the most nominated
3: movie ever, right? Yeah, it's 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 a big deal. You know, And I think that talking about sort of Hacksaw Ridge doing well, and we've talked a lot about the kind of political temper of the moment, and I think that Hacksaw Ridge kind of benefits from that in a weird way. But La La Land benefits a lot from that, because this is a movie that you can just kind of disappear into and float into the stars, and the (laughs) the world sort of disappears. So yeah, I mean, at this point, a lot of people have seen the movie. It's a hit. So I think that probably ABC is very excited about all these nominations for La La Land, because people will maybe pay attention and tune in to see the singing and the dancing. I
2: have a question for Katie. While you're making your list of films that you have to see because they're nominated, are you going to put Suicide Squad on there? I was going to ask that too. I... I, I don't. Uh, Oscar-nominated so. <laughs> film, Suicide. Squad. I want to see
0: Star Trek Beyond. That's a movie that I missed while I was in maternity leave and have wanted to catch that up one. with. A suicide yeah. Squad. I really felt content that I was never going to have to see. Is the makeup? Is it for the crocodile? Like I can see a picture of the crocodile.
2: Well, you can listen to the song from you know the, the gym documentary <laughs> and just true. be dumb. it. how completist do you want to be, Kitty? Yeah,
0: I mean, I feel like I need to see Tony Erdman before I see Suicide Squad. Like that just feels like a good way to prioritize. Fair enough, I fair think enough. that's correct. Does any of this change uh, where we thought the race was? I mean, we talked about La La Land dominating anything. Do we feel any doubt about Viola Davis, about Mahershala Ali? any of the other categories we were talking about?
1: I don't feel any doubt about Viola Davis.
3: I can No, tell you that.
0: no, me neither. I saw on Twitter she's the first black actress to get three Oscar nominations, which is fascinating.
3: Oh, wow. And in a very short amount of time.
0: Very short. Sure. I mean, Doubt was, what, 2009, 2008?
3: Yeah, around right about there. So it's less than a decade. So that's pretty good for her. Yeah. I think that things in those kind of top-line categories seem to be solidifying pretty obviously. I think now it's just a matter for me, I mean, how many awards La La Land is going to win.
1: Do we think that Mahershala will be the only Moonlight win?
3: Or <sighs> Yeah, else I... Could I've kind of been saying that for a few weeks now that I'm a little bit concerned that that could happen. And I looking at the nominations and seeing how the sort of numbers of what movies got, what I kind of see that happening.
2: Do you think you could sneak in for like editing or cinematography or anything like that? Or is that just La La Land down all the I, way down?
3: I kind of just feel like that's,
1: Turtles all the way down. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if it weren't for La La Land, we'd be talking about Moonlight with, what is it, eight nominations? I mean, that's a pretty big haul, actually. Yeah. For a film that was kind of a surprise when it first aired. But I think you're right. I think that probably Mahershala is going to be it. I mean... I could see him getting director, but at this point, it looks like, you know, how do you get 14 nominations and not win director when it's your show? Right.
0: I mean, I'm looking at adapted screenplay. I mean, I guess Fences is a contender because August Wilson is an icon and Hidden Figures is very popular. But I feel like Moonlight definitely could win there.
3: That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably its second best shot. And yeah, you're right. That's a pretty close race. But you know, I think that really the big win for Moonlight here is that the name of the movie is going to be said eight times at the Oscar broadcast, and there's data to show that a bump in Oscar nominations lead to a bump in a movie's gross. I mean, I think Moonlight is still playing in some theaters, but even so, it just means more people are going to see it, and that's really exciting. So I'm sure that they're all very happy about that this morning.
2: Yeah, reporting back from from our personal website traffic, search traffic after these nominees. <laughs> Inside baseball here. Yeah, I would say that Hidden Figures were getting some juice on a hit, like an August 2016 Hidden Figures basically post about right. the woman Katherine Johnson, who's it's based on. So, I mean, Hidden Figures already doing gangbusters at the box office, but it's possible that with an acting nomination and a Best Picture nomination, it's getting taken more seriously by people who thought it was more populist. Perhaps
0: I mean it's going to be an interesting populist Oscars. I'm curious about how big a hit La La Land will be by the time we get to Oscar night. I'm looking up its the theater count right now. I still don't think it's open on like the maximum number of screens. I imagine it'll be going wide pretty soon. Yeah, it's in uh, less than 2,000 theaters right now, so it could definitely go wider.
1: So, whose speeches are we excited for?
0: Uh, do you think they'll just give Meryl an opportunity to, like, even though she's not going to win, like, do you think they'll just give her a reason to speak? It's sort of like nominating Justin Timberlake
2: so you can have him sing. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of almost like a State of the Union. Meryl should give a State of the Union address every single year at the Oscars. I would watch that every A State year. of Hollywood address? Yeah. I would watch it and then they don't have to nominate her for bogus movies they could just I mean I like Flora Foster Jenkins but like they don't have to nominate her for the likes of Into the Woods or whatever when you know she could just come and give a State of the Hollywood Union address
1: they should put her in the front row like Jack Nicholson
0: yes oh god I'm surprised that hasn't even happened yet
1: why haven't we done that yet?
0: Yeah, they should bring her out instead of the accountants who come out on stage with the briefcases. Just have, it, have Meryl carry the briefcases. I think that'd be fine. I mean, I definitely think it's an open question of how political these Oscars are going to be and what happens in Washington in the next six weeks will determine a lot of that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that politically speaking, like, obviously, we had these women's marches across the country and the globe, actually. And there was a huge one in Sundance uh, in Park City, and a lot of celebrities were out there. So I think that the sort of political hackles are raised. If that's true a month from now, we'll see. But... Yeah, I think we should anticipate at least some speechifying on that matter. I don't know exactly from whom. But. I, I
1: would see Viola's although I don't know. Is Viola political? I, I she mean, seems a little bit more— Well, she introduced Meryl
0: yeah, at the she Globes.
1: Did. But but that was all about craft and acting. It wasn't a political—you know, yeah. you didn't have She's, any sense that Meryl was going to go where she went, actually.
2: When, when Viola won— I wanna say it was the SAG, but maybe the Emmy, she gave a big speech about women of color and representation and what it means for a woman who is dark skinned as she is to win. Like she has her her passions that she will speak about. And that was a gangbuster speech. It was a really good speech. So if she decides to make it about Trump or even about women's rights. You know, the less sizzling, but more, yeah, more generally appealing women's rights sort of issue, then I think it could be really good.
0: They should have Alec Baldwin present an award just to see what he does.
1: They should have come on us and do the Trump. Yeah. They're not going to want to do that, though. They're not going to want to alienate.
0: The Hacksaw Ridge audience. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap this up maybe by for the listeners. Like, is there any any surprise in here that maybe we saw coming, but other people might not have that we want to really encourage people to catch up with? Like, I mean, for, my person. Lobster. Oh, my God. Yeah, the lobster. Yeah, Mike, talk about the, the lobster. lobster
1: screenplay. I
2: got a text from my sister two nights ago saying, you said the lobster was good. I was like, it is good. She's like, well, never mind. What she said, said next was a spoiler, but my sister did not take that <laughs> to The
1: Lobster. <laughs> the Lobster is weird, but great.
2: Thank you for not spoiling The Lobster. <laughs> it's good, but dark and weird, but it's good, and watch yeah. it. And also, I got a tweet this morning from someone saying, what's the deal with Captain Fantastic? Is it actually good? Yes, it is. You should see it. It's a good movie. It
3: certainly is. There you go. I'm really excited for Fire at Sea, um, mm-hmm. a documentary that I, I really, really love. And during the whole sort of, you know, pre-holiday, luncheon, dinner circuit, I got a chance to actually spend pretty much a couple hours with Gianfranco Rossi, who directed it. And he's a really funny, nice guy. And I sort of asked him what he thought about his Oscar chances, and he was actually pretty bullish on them. So I'm glad that his his uh, prediction panned out. And uh, I think everyone's like, I see got that. this, bro. Yeah, yeah, essentially the <laughs> Italian version of that. Yeah. But, you know, it's a really important movie, um, politically speaking. And so I'm very excited that that's going to be in the conversation until the end of February.
0: I want to do a little bit of log rolling for Connie Nast Entertainment, which is actually the distributor of Joe's Violin, which is one of the documentary short subject nominees. And uh, we wrote an article and interviewed the director of it in a post in the beginning of this month. So you can watch it on VanityFair.com. If you just Google Joe's Violin Vanity Fair, you can find it. So go get started on that documentary short subject. And it's about a Holocaust survivor. So wow. the, I think the rule of thumb is that it's a likely that's winner awesome yeah
1: kudos to sarah lash who does all the acquisition stuff for Kanye nest entertainment and has done some great acquisitions for vanity fair she's a killer so that's great that's a great nomination yeah
0: go team condé nest all right well we will have another episode this week uh, i think it's gonna be me and joanna catching up because richard and mike are still charging their way out of the mountains have you guys died in a snowbank yet or is that a rumor
3: Uh, no, I mean, it is really snowy here. I mean, it is like, even the director of the festival when introducing a film last night, he was like, in my 27 years here, I have never seen snow like this. So, uh, it's, it's throwing everyone for a loop, but you know, we're getting around, the buses are working and, uh, you know, we've got more movies to see. So it's like the
1: ending of the shining,
3: basically. (laughs) Someone literally said, this is some shining level shit. (laughs) 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 Went went walking out of a movie the other night. So yeah.
2: Katie, did you ask them if they had
0: died in a snowbank? Like, this is a, a ghost podcast? Is <laughs> I mean,
3: that, that your yeah. question? I can't
0: see okay. them. They're, yeah. just, they're just disembodied voices, so I don't <laughs> th- know That's what's going Skype on. Skype
3: works, you know. It, it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Joanna, you and I will catch up for an episode later this week, maybe talk a little bit about Sundance, but Richard and Mike will let you guys report back next week. But in the meantime, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can continue finding us all on VanityFair.com. We have lots of great posts about the Oscar nominations that are going up as we speak. We've got Rebecca Keegan talking to Cheryl Boone Isaacs, the president of the Academy. There's lots of good stuff, so please go read and um, we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men I'm Katie Rich Mike
1: Mike underscore Hogan
0: Joanna Joe wrote this. and Richard Rylaws. this episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply and this week's award for the best hope for the future of the free press goes to Richard Lawson
3: it's Meryl Streep writing songs under a (laughs) pen name. (laughs) oh